The FT Weekend Podcast, supported by Ledger, the secure way to buy, exchange, and grow your crypto. From beginner to an expert trader, Ledger has everything you need to buy and grow your crypto securely, all in one place. Reclaim power over your money. Learn more at ledger.com. Last March, there was big news out of Miami, Florida. Its sports arena, home to the basketball team, the Miami Heat, was officially going to be renamed the FTX Arena. What is FTX? It's a crypto exchange platform. And it became kind of a joke. Like, really? Now stadiums are being named after the blockchain? It also felt back then pretty out of character. The old name, American Airlines Stadium, isn't oozing with local charm either. But crypto in Miami? One of the people laughing was journalist Joel Stein. Well, it seems idiotic, right? There's a stadium named after some crypto company no one's ever heard of. But this was actually a big moment because Miami was first. They were first to do a tech thing. Soon after, Coinbase became the crypto partner of the NBA. The Staples Center, home of the LA Lakers, became the Crypto.com Arena. And there was one man in Miami patting himself proudly on the back. Francis Suarez, mayor of the city. Here he is a few months later talking with local news channel WSFL-TV. We've had such big wins. I mean, FTX coming in uh, as a crypto exchange is spending $200 million. We also brought the Bitcoin conference. I mean, that was a big deal. We took it from uh, Los Angeles and brought it to Miami. It's the largest Bitcoin conference in the world. So we've done it on sports. We've done it on finance. We've done it on technology. We're creating the greatest, greatest city on the planet. Suarez has been on Twitter and across news stations through the pandemic, preaching this gospel that Miami is America's new tech center. And he just became very much like a publicist for tech and crypto particularly. He's on Fox all the time talking about crypto. He minted their own coin called Miami Coin. Suarez isn't just pulling this out of the air. He's got the support and friendship of a lot of Silicon Valley's heaviest hitters partially because many of them are also becoming his residents. Remember, the pandemic freed people up to move out of town, and the most popular state to move to, by a long shot, was Florida. Between July 2020 and 2021, more than 220,000 Americans moved to Florida. And among them were many members of the tech elite and their friends. There's some big money hedge fund guys, VCs moving to Miami. I think that more than the pure number of people who move down there is really making the difference. Joel wrote about how the city is changing in an FT Magazine cover story called How Miami Became the Most Important City in America. And this weekend, we're going. We're going to Miami. We're actually going to spend the whole episode there, and we're going with a question in mind. What happens when Silicon Valley falls in love with a city that has such a singular culture? This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. A migration of big tech energy to a city like Miami? That can get fraught. Miami is different from other cities. It has a lot of soul. Here's a bit of history. Miami was founded in 1896, and it was built mainly by African-Americans who made up 40% of its population in the early 20th century. It grew very quickly during World War II, and it became home to a huge Cuban community escaping Fidel Castro's regime. 
Miami's what they call a minority-majority population. It's almost a quarter Cuban, 16% Central American, almost 20% have African ancestry, including Caribbean. And the city runs in Spanish. If you're white, non-Hispanic in Miami, you're one of about 12%. It's kind of hard to put your finger on what's so special about it. It runs on pure vibes. It's built on the water and it likes to show off. So it's thong bikinis and boat parties, but it's also reggaeton at Latin clubs. It's neighborhoods like Little Haiti and Little Havana. It's ventanitas, these windows where you grab a coffee and a pastelito and you gossip about which of your cousins makes a better flan. It's very alive. You may know Will Smith's masterpiece from 1997, Miami. The one where he talks about the city being all ages, all races, real sweet faces. This song has become the pop culture theme for Miami, for better or for worse, because it syncs up so well with how the world views it. A breezy, nonstop, all-inclusive party. Bacchanalia. He nails that mix of the people, the energy, and the heat. But that party might start to look different with this influx of tech money and outsider Silicon Valley culture. There is real opportunity here. At its best, it'll bring investment, more and better jobs, less brain drain, more big city infrastructure. But at its worst, it's gentrification on steroids. You've seen how tech migrations have changed Seattle, San Francisco, Austin. Big money also means housing prices rise and locals get lost and forced out. Is that what's happening in Miami? For that question, I started with Joel. Joel is a former columnist for the LA Times and Time Magazine. He was on I Love the 80s on MTV's sister network VH1. And so as part of his career, he spent a lot of time there. I was down there once with Cinemax with Flo Rida for his birthday, and he gave me uh, I went with him to Diamonds, which is a big strip club. Uh, and he brought a duffel bag full of cash uh-huh. and taught me how to make it rain. <laughs> so Joel always knew that Miami. But he noticed something different in the pandemic. He had a high school friend, Keith Raboy, who's a big name investor. And Raboy wouldn't stop tweeting about Miami. Every article you read, every time you were on Twitter, all you heard was Keith Raboy telling everyone that Silicon Valley is moving to Miami. <laughs> and so uh, I became interested mostly through Keith and then through all the articles about all these restaurateurs and VCs and hedge fund guys moving to Miami. So Joel went there to track down where it all started. And he landed at the door of a prominent venture capitalist named Jack Abraham. Yeah, Jack Abraham, I think maybe patient zero of the... Silicon Valley move to Miami. Most of the first people who move down there have a similar story. The story goes like this. Abraham takes a vacation to Miami in mid-2020 in the depths of lockdown to get away from cramped San Francisco. He immediately gets COVID. Because he can't fly home until his tests start reading negative, he stays in Miami and slowly falls in love with it. And by the time he's allowed to leave, he doesn't. There's a bunch of people who didn't go back including Jack, and then became evangelists for the city and had their friends visit them. And a lot of their friends never went back. 
Here's Abraham talking to Joel in his new offices in the arts neighborhood of Wynwood. And I would say one very interesting thing about Miami is that if you think of it like a product, you know, we build products, the conversion rate is extremely high. So the, the people who, who come and visit, I would say somewhere between 50 to 70% of them would extend and end up moving here eventually. Wow. This rate of interest is new for Miami. For one thing, the city is sinking. Environmentalists consider it America's most vulnerable coastal city to climate change. The whole city could be underwater by 2100. It's also true that Miami has historically not been a place known for its booming job market. Its biggest employment sector is leisure and hospitality, which makes sense for a beach town. But it doesn't have a ton of other jobs, like in manufacturing or IT or finance. That said, some Miamians have been sensing a shift for a while. And one of the most prominent is the renowned Alex Rodriguez. A-Rod for short, former baseball star with the New York Yankees, former fiance of Jennifer Lopez, current investor in real estate and private equity. Joel met Rodriguez at his offices in Coconut Grove, which is an upscale Miami neighborhood. They talked, of all things, about billionaire philanthropist Warren Buffett. My first real thought about Miami starting to really blow up, I remember in around 08, in the meltdown, all these condominiums were basically empty. And I remember Warren Buffett came down and spent about a full day driving around. He came down from Omaha. And I asked my sister, boss, what'd you think? He goes, I love Miami. If I had somebody to manage everything for me, I would buy everything in sight. The issue is I don't have a management company. But that was the first time that I said, wow. I mean, from Warren to say that about our city. And I think what COVID did, it turbocharged the inevitable. The interview tape here is a little bit muddled, so I'm going to paraphrase. Joel basically asked Rodriguez, okay, you had this feeling before and it didn't happen. What makes you think it's happening now? What makes you think this time it's real? And A-Rod said, there's a lot of new movement at the same time. It's not just a one-off, like getting Art Basel, America's biggest art fair, or getting one Super Bowl. There are financial institutions coming in. There are hedge funds. You know, the biggest question for me long-term is always infrastructure, you know, public transportation, and, and education. You know, can we absorb all the necessities of all the firepower? So A-Rod thinks it's real this time. And part of the lasting power is the relationship the tech elite has built with this mayor, Francis Suarez, the guy from the start of the show. Remember him? Strange detail, he's actually a part-time mayor, just of the city of Miami. He spends the other half of his life as a trial lawyer. Joel's piece is very funny. I've put it in the show notes. And in it, he calls Suarez a 44-year-old, fit, tanned mass of bro energy. So what was he like in real life? Does he feel like you're with an influencer? Is, was he fist bumping you? Like, what was he like? Oh, yeah, a lot of fist bumping. Yeah. Extraordinary amount of fist bumping. <laughs> At some point, he walked into a room, and I thought we were going to talk. But all he said was, how do I look? Because he was, like, adjusting his tie. And before I could answer, he said, too blessed to be stressed. And I think he fist bumped me, and then he walked out. <laughs> I was like, this guy, I don't even know. Suarez is a full-on character, persistent, visible, and relentless. In 2020, he was the first politician in the U.S. to get COVID, from the COVID-denying president of Brazil, no less. 
He started a daily COVID diary on Twitter, which raised his profile, so he started tweeting more. Until one day, he sent four words to the right person and went viral. He was all over Twitter. And a VC who's a partner with Peter Thiel and Keith Raboy tweeted, maybe we should all just move to Miami and bring Silicon Valley there. And within minutes, Suarez uh, responded on Twitter, how can I help? Yeah. Which is kind of his catchphrase. And that tweet kind of blew up. And then he put out a billboard in San Francisco saying, DM me if you want to move to, to Miami. <laughs> right. Here's Joel talking to Suarez about that time. So you go from not tweeting very much to having this viral tweet, right. tweeting 30 times a day. 30 times a day for 30 days, right? Essentially. Right, this is a plan or this is just like... No, it was not a plan. It was it was a reaction to a yep. tweet. It was a response to a tweet. And then it became a, essentially a plan, right? In the sense that I, I realized it was an opportunity and I took advantage of it. The way other way I describe it is, it's like I saw a tsunami coming and I took out my surfboard to ride the wave. And how many people DM'd it? Thousands. Okay. So Suarez started this campaign and thousands did come. And now here we are. So what does that mean for this complicated city? So you said in your piece that Miami, you said something along the lines of Miami is now the most important city in America. And that's not because it's changed to be more like America, but because America has changed to be more like Miami. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? It means that America has become this kind of radical, libertarian, freedom-crazed, crypto, NFT land uh, of... Instagrammers, to me, kind of scary, insubstantial insanity, but but maybe through a lens of five or 10 years from now, or through a lens of someone younger, it's the way I would have looked at Silicon Valley in you know 1995. I want to pause here for a second to say that this air of flakiness and insanity, that's part of Miami too. It's tanning oil and boob jobs. It's its cocaine cowboy's history. It's tequila bottles on fire. But it's a very specific mix of those things that makes sense in Miami and nowhere else. My friends from Miami explain it as a place that doesn't really follow rules. People just do what they want. They bring their cultures with them and keep living by those rules in Miami. And it's fine. You can. That definitely makes it less efficient than New York or San Francisco and sometimes frustrating for residents. But it also makes it fun. And the way Keith Ratboy described it to me kind of put it in a different frame for me, which was, I was thinking this is all a stupid, frothy bubble of, you know, crypto nonsense. And he said, what is South Korea really exported? Yeah. I mean, Samsung and hard goods, but also culture, right? And that's become such a huge part of the economy to not think about Instagrammers and artists and people who make NFTs as the real economy might be really stupid. Yeah, yeah. I pulled that quote, too, actually. He said, the GDP of the U.S. is going to be driven by design and culture. If half of American children want to be TikTokers, culture is going to be influenced by that. What Joel's saying here is that investors like Raboy are betting on cultural output. And Miami's culture, it's edgy, it's diverse, it's sexy, it's Instagram ready. It's prime to be mined and packaged. So if Silicon Valley culture descends on this city... Will it ruin the very thing it's trying to sell? I'm Stephanie Obata. I'm 29. I've lived in Miami my whole life from Hialeah, and I do marketing. 
I'm Matthew Abad. I'm 30 years old. I'm born and raised out of Miami, Florida. Um, yeah. And we're married. And we're married. And we have a baby. And we have a beautiful baby. Stephanie and Matthew Abad are both the children of Cuban immigrants who built their lives in Miami. Miami's their city. It's not a shiny new toy. And they're worried about how quickly it's already changed. We're trying to buy some property now and looking at the pricing of things from two years ago or even last year or even six months ago is such a vast, crazy difference that it's becoming impossible for locals to buy property. What do you love about Miami? I love the culture. I feel um, very warm and cozy here. Um, Anyone you meet, they'll probably know someone you know. So that kind of brings comfort and it kind of everywhere, like I said, everywhere you go, it's like a very homey feeling. I'm curious how you feel about Mayor Suarez. Like, honestly. I will be honest, uh, when he first ran, I was really on board for him and I actually voted for him. And I've been incredibly disappointed ever since then. Um, There have been lots of videos that circulated of him recently of someone asking him a simple question like, hey, you know, rents are going up. What do I do? And he says, oh, find a job that pays more. Here's Suarez recently on CBS Miami. One option is to try to find another apartment that is equivalent or less expensive or whatever. That's obviously enough. So that's on the cost side. But on the income side, you know, the other option is for your job to pay more. I realize he's trying to invest in the economy and make it boom. But I feel like he's leaving uh, the locals and the local voices behind. You know, in December, I visited a Cuban friend of mine in Miami, and I had the time of my life. That city is everything they say it is. And one night we were at this Latin club, and everyone was dancing, and in the middle was a group of what looked like tech bros. They were drinking bottles of beer and kind of bopping their heads awkwardly, and my friend pointed at them, and she said, we like to play this game, local or transplant. Those guys are 100% transplants. So I tell this story to the Abads. One way to think about it is, you know, you really think those nerds in the corner of that bar are going to ruin the culture of Miami? Like, no way, the culture's too strong. (laughs) You know, like, they'll be changed by the culture and they'll adapt and they'll love it or they'll leave. And uh, another way to think about it is, maybe they love all the things that there is to love about Miami, but them coming and bringing their friends is going to gentrify it and change it. Um, and just make it whiter, a more cookie cutter or something. I think I'd like to think of it as like they're going to get a commercialized version mm-hmm. of the environment. Right. I think the Latin music's going to stay. I think the Miami bar life with the bottles are going to stay. I think I think the reggaeton will always be here. But, you know, the true people and the conversations you have and it'll be like the how- architecture will not be here anymore. I think it's going to turn into what TV shows portray Miami as. Mm. Like with the cheesy salsa music and like the Spanish, weirdly like tacky Spanish looking houses. Not like authentic, you know, just like kind of TV showy. Yeah. Do you feel that when you go out now in certain areas? When I go to South Beach, yes. Yeah. (laughs) We don't go there often. Because that's just, it feels like a watered down version or it's a, a tourist trap. Yeah, like, like a copy paste version of what it really is. And then like triple the price. 
South Beach, by the way, is that strip of island just off downtown Miami. If you've ever seen any movie or TV show set in Miami, you've seen it. High-end hotels, expensive restaurants, ridiculous clubs. It's where tourists go for their bachelorette parties. What is your dream for Miami? Like, what's your greatest wish for it? If you're raising a child there, you're asking these questions. You know, I'm not, we're not economists by any trade at all. And um, I'm not anti-big business, but, you know, I feel like if you're, if you're pushing for companies to cultivate an economy or stimulate an economy here, you got to also think about the people that serve the economy. And if you're driving up the prices and everything else, um, and you're forcing out the people who actually serve the economy, you know, the frontline workers in every industry, if we force those people out, then these individuals are not going to be here to support us either. Yeah, and they have to support the communities to keep the culture. And that's what makes Miami so special is our culture. So we don't take care of our people. The culture is gone. And it's just, again, the watered down, copy paste TV version of Miami. The last and debatably most important thing to consider about Miami is what I said at the top, that it's sinking. The Abads are very worried about it. So I asked Joel Stein, the writer. I do want to talk about climate change, actually. And it didn't seem to matter to the billionaires. I don't know. Where did it sit? Like, what what did you leave thinking about that? I left thinking that a lot of people believe that if you put enough, if you put enough money into reacting to climate change, you can survive. Miami Beach is man-made. So it's like, well, we just put a bunch of sand here. We can just put a bunch <laughs> more sand here. None of this is real. The Venetian Islands, which are where all the tech bros are moving, they're all man-made. Yeah. Like, you just build your house higher, build it, bring, dredge some more sand, pump out some more water from these porous limestones. So, you know, I think they think that they can survive this. And how much sand can you put? I mean, I actually, I don't know the answer, but how much sand can you put to protect rising sea levels that are sort of like coming up from the ground below? You know, you can build fake coral, which they're, I mean, they're doing such yeah. insane things. Like during Art Basel, Miami's yeah. Art Basel, they were NFT crazy. And one of the, a series of NFTs were projected on a screen and the money that went from buying this NFT, which is a significant amount, went to this nonprofit, which is building an art gallery underwater with fake coral and sculptures <laughs> that will help rebuild the, the coral ecosystem down there and protect Miami Beach wow. a bit. So I know that that to me is like how they're thinking. And is that brilliant or is it insane or both? I don't even know. I feel like that's actually like the big question of your piece. Is this brilliant or insane or both? Yeah. And I kind of like, I don't know the answer. So I like, I want to know what people think when they read it. I just present all the facts. I don't know. When I read my piece, I bounce back and forth between thinking like, these people are insane. Mm-hmm. This is all idiotic to, oh, maybe, maybe this is all really, really smart. I don't, it just seems crazy to me. That's the show this week. 
Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the podcast from the Financial Times. Next week, we will bring you to Albania for lunch with Alec Russell and Leia EP. We were going to do it this time, but both topics were just too big and interesting for one show. So stay tuned. Keep in touch. We love hearing from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. We're on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And you can find me mostly on Instagram and sometimes on Twitter at Lila Rapp. We love when you recommend FT Weekend on your social feeds and tag us. That really helps support the show. Also, I have exciting news. FT Weekend is hosting its first U.S. edition of the FT Weekend Festival. It's in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center, and it's on May 7th. I will be there, as well as many of my colleagues who you've met here, and guests like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and Henry Kissinger, and Jennifer Egan, and Leia Ipi, and many more. I've put all the details in the show notes, including an exclusive discount. And if you do come, just walk around and find me because I would really like to meet you. If you want to explore the FT in print or online, I always have the best offers for you. We've got a month-long trial and half off a digital subscription, among other things. They're at ft.com slash weekend podcast. Make sure to use that link. It's in the show notes as our links to everything mentioned today. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my incredible and, as of this week, three-time Publisher Podcast Award shortlisted team. Whew. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer, Lulu Smith is our assistant producer, and Breen Turner is our sound engineer, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer. And special thanks to Cheryl Brumley and Renee Kaplan. Thanks also to Liz and Marion Rod and the Miguel family and every other Miamian who talked extensively to me about their city. We'll find each other again next week. As the world changes, so does the tech we need to secure what is important to us. And if you own crypto assets, you need a safe place to store your funds. At Ledger, we provide a secure and straightforward way to buy, exchange and grow your crypto. Whether you're an expert trader or just starting on your crypto journey, Ledger has everything you need all in one place. Ledger, the place to buy and grow your crypto securely. Reclaim power over your money. Learn more at ledger.com.